All right, good morning, everyone. So glad you can join us on Facebook and Facebook Live here at uh, Boulevard Bible Chapel. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike DeLeon. I, I should know uh, most of you, uh, and I just want to say good morning. And if you see in our description, uh, it should say we're going to discuss today the, about the, the mother in Israel. So go ahead, if you know who the mother in Israel is, go ahead and write it in the comment there. I'm just interesting, I've, uh, before this message, I didn't really uh, know that this individual was called uh, the, a mother in Israel, but uh, if you know it, write it in the comment section there. But I want to first say uh, Happy Mother's Day uh, to all the moms out there, uh, the biological moms, the spiritual moms, the foster moms, the uh, any mom out there, and I just want to thank you for uh, just what you do for uh, many children around. So, uh, as I said, we're going to be talking about a mother in Israel. And now, I didn't see if anybody got it in the comments there, but it's okay. Uh, you might know it anyway. We're going to be talking about Deborah. So, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. And I think it's kind of uh, important to give uh, a background to uh, Judges chapter 4. Maybe some of you aren't familiar with uh, the story or where Deborah falls uh, in line with the different judges that are, are mentioned uh, in this book. But if you remember now that, uh, you know, we can go a little bit ways back. We go back to Egypt. Uh, the children of uh, Israel were, were taken out of captivity. They were taken out of Egypt. Uh, they uh, were being brought to the promised land, but there was some rebellion and some disobedience. So they wandered in the desert for 40 years and uh, Joshua took over from Moses and Joshua brought them into the promised land. And now Judges is kind of this uh, transition book, right, where they're going from these uh, prophet leaders, so to speak, Moses, Joshua, and then we have where they turn to a king. But in between that, we have these judges. Uh, that again would would serve the Lord uh, in Israel. And so we see in chapter one in the book of Judges, it's really uh, an introduction and it, it introduces us and it gives us a transition from from Joshua uh, to these leaders. And uh, if you're familiar with the book of Judges, you know that there's this cycle, right? And some have tried to say that it's it's the seven cycles, right? There's seven things that happen, and uh, I try not to force it either way. But we do see something being laid out for us in Judges chapter 2, verses 8 to 23, right? We see that uh, a leader or a judge, but in Judges chapter 2 specifically, it was uh, Joshua. We see a leader dies, right? A judge dies. Then a new generation arises that did not remember their deliverance. They didn't remember their judge. They didn't remember their deliverer. And then they began to do evil, right? And they would serve uh, other gods. And then from that, the anger of the Lord uh, was, was kindled against Israel, as it says in the scripture. And then the Lord would, uh, the, the people would, would cry out. And then the Lord would raise up a judge to deliver them. They would give thanks to the Lord, but then they would forget and they would start it uh, all over, right? And so in Judges chapter 3, we're actually introduced to the first judge. And now there's six what we would call major judges, and then there's uh, minor judges where we would have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six of those, right? So we have 12 uh, total, but we have major 
and minor. Now, the first major judge was Othniel, and we find that in Judges chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Uh, then we have Ehud, and that's found in Judges 3, uh, 12 through 30. If you remember Ehud, he's the individual with, uh, he was left-handed, and uh, he killed the king, and his entrails fell out, right? Uh, pretty gory story there. Then we have Barak, and I'm going to talk about why Barak is considered uh, the judge uh, in that specific story in, in a little bit. Then we move from Barak, we move into Gideon. And then from Gideon, you have Jephthah, and then finally, uh, Samson, right? So we have all these major judges, and uh, the, the story we're going to be looking at of Barak as the judge uh, is found in Judges uh, chapter 4. So let's read that. Let's read that together. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harashith Hagoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobad, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harashith Haguim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Hurashith Haguim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her in the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. 
But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that uh, the preaching would not be done with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, I, I'm, I'm getting a message. Let me do something real quick. All right, I was told the internet connection might not be as strong. Hopefully that's, hopefully that's better for you. But uh, I, I just wanted to share with you, as I, was, uh, I, I recently watched uh, a movie uh, and um, it, it was about these two individuals, these two these two African Americans in the 1960s. They were they were businessmen. It was uh, based on a true story, and they wanted to kind of expand their real estate business. Right uh, it, back then, they they were in California, and you could only buy in African American communities if you were an African American, right? And then the whites would buy in the white community. And so what they did as they wanted to expand their business. They basically hired this white construction worker who had no understanding of business. He had no, uh, you, you know, how to close a deal on a house or on a piece of property. He had no understanding. He was a, a typical layman, construction worker, right? And they took him and they basically would use him to close the deals uh, on these properties that they couldn't buy being uh, African-Americans. Now, uh, they ended up. Uh, you know, going before Congress and they, they got into other things and they, they bought a bank and things like that. But uh, my focus isn't there. It's the, the, the idea that these two individuals were able to expand uh, their real estate business working through this one white construction worker, this layman who had no idea how to, to talk business, right? And they were able to expand uh, their, their business through that. And so, what happens is what I'm looking at now is as I go to the book of Judges, I, th- I think that's what the author is trying to present for us in, in the story of uh, Deborah, right? as, as we're going to uh, focus on Deborah, the mother uh, in Israel. And, and what the author wants us to realize is that God is at work, right? There's, d- there's divine intervention. And not only that, he uses all types of individuals. And sometimes we can we can get up we can get caught up in uh, what men can do, what women can do, and the different roles and responsibilities. But what we're seeing presented here is that God works through every individual, and specifically in this story, He works through Deborah. And now I'm not going to get into uh, the debate as far as uh, you know women in leadership and. Uh, you know, can they be pastors and elders and, and, you know, where do we draw the line with that? That's not the focus here. But, but I do want us to, to realize that Deborah and this story here is, is not an example of 
a feminist movement, right? That, hey, look at, look at Deborah, right? She was a leader. And uh, I, I don't believe that, that Deborah was actually considered uh, the, the leader here, right? And we would, we would see that throughout the story. And if you, if you look at Deborah, right, if you look at Deborah, unlike the previous two judges, she's not identified as a savior or as uh, a deliverer, right, as, as it could be translated uh, either way. She's not, the text never says that she delivered the people of Israel, that she saved the pre- people of Israel. And if you, you look, the previous two judges, Othniel and Ehud, they didn't share their leadership, Right. Even if you see Deborah and we call her a leader and we call her the judge of this story, you see in the sense that, well, then maybe, you know, why is she sharing her leader, her leadership that we didn't see that with the other two. Uh, and then in the story, it says that uh, that to Barak, she says Cicero will be given into your hands. Right. But she says that the Lord will sell Cicero into the hands of a woman. Now, if you're just reading this story and you didn't know anything about uh, the, the book of Judges, you didn't know how this story ended, you didn't know who Deborah was. Now, if you're just reading through that story and Deborah says that the Lord is going to give Sisera into the hands of a woman, who would you expect it to be? You would expect it to be Deborah, right? She's, the, she's supposedly the main character here, uh, and, and you would expect that, but it's not. It's a different woman, right? And then we see that she went up with Barak, but she's absent from the battle. And we see that she refers to herself as mother in Israel instead of savior of Israel, right? She is, she's not the one who's raised up like the previous judges. And finally, we don't see any reference uh, to Deborah's inspiration and empowerment by the spirit of the Lord like we do with the other judges. So am I here bashing Deborah? Absolutely not. She's the main focus of of what I want to what I want to talk about talk about this morning, but she she is not the one who we consider to be the judge in this story. And uh, I mean, if you go to Samuel, uh, the prophet Samuel, and you see uh, his farewell address, right? He talks about uh, Jerubbabel, he talks about Gideon, uh, he talks about Jephthah, and he talks about um, Barak. He doesn't talk about Deborah. And then if you go into Hebrews chapter eleven. Uh, into our what we would say our hall of faith, right? Uh, the 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 hall of faith, which is Deborah mentioned? No, who's who's mentioned? It's Barak again, right? Now it could be that the author was borrowing from from Samuel there. That that's that's no problem. But the the point is that Barak is the one who's considered to be in leadership. And so when I when I looked at this this story and this narrative, right? It it really brought to the front line that God is at work. And I think that is the main, the main point that the author is trying to communicate as he shares this narrative of, of Deborah and Barak. And now, what do I mean by that? So if you see the first two judges, you have Othniel and Ehud, right? Now, there's, there's not too many characteristic flaws in Othniel and Ehud. Now, Ehud was left-handed, uh, and that was considered a weakness uh, in the ancient Near East, and, and that's okay, you, you know, but... But there's not really this character flaw that we see in the first two judges. After we go from those two individuals and then we move into Barak, who we see that, yeah, he had a lack of faith and he wasn't doing and he wasn't leading well. But then the the traits after Deborah really begin um, to get somewhat, you know, concerning. Right. You have Gideon. 
and you're, you're thinking about Gideon and you're saying to yourself, boy, you know, Gideon, uh, you know, he, he didn't really have a lot of faith and he was he was kind of a coward. And it took him twice to lay out his fleece. Uh, and oftentimes uh, I, I don't even want to get into that, but. You know, people will lay out fleeces because Gideon did it, but it's actually a negative portrayal of, of Gideon. It's not a positive thing, right? He needed this double confirmation, so to speak, when it was already confirmed to him because God appeared to him and said it, right? So anyway, the, the point is you see that character flaw in, in Gideon, and then you move um, into, into Jephthah, and, you know, Jephthah was the, the son of a prostitute. He was a, a bargainer. He hung out with worthless people, it says. Uh, he, he, he made a vow, uh, and he ended up offering up his daughter when she came out. And uh, we, we see, you know, a good amount of characteristic flaws in, in the life, life of Jephthah. And then, of course, we have Samson, right? Uh, you know, Samson was, his big character flaw, again, was, was women, so to speak. So, uh, you, you know, we see these character flaws. And what's interesting is that those are the individuals, not Othniel, not Ehud, but now we're the, the, the individuals that are mentioned in the Hall of Faith are these type of individuals where it really was uh, God who intervened and used them, right? This divine intervention, so to speak. And, and what I want to focus on this morning is the fact of, of Deborah being used by God. And, you know, it's interesting that some people go as far as to say that Deborah, in a sense, wasn't even a, a, a real historical figure. I don't agree with that, but it's just interesting to me that some people would read through it. And what they do is they see they see Deborah as a representation of Yahweh or or the Lord. Right. And, and so I was kind of taken back by that. But then as you read through the story, you can see that Deborah is really being this representation of the Lord. She's representing the Lord, even as we're going to get into what she's called and things of that nature. So what I thought about is I said, boy, let's look at the characteristics of, of the characteristic traits of Deborah and then take those and basically apply it to our moms today. But again, can we take those characteristic traits and we can apply it to any one of us? So whether you're a mom, whether you're not a mom, whether you're a spiritual mom, a biological mom, whether you're both, whatever it may be, we can look at these characteristic traits of Deborah and say, boy, let's imitate her in a sense that we can bring honor and glory to God with our lives uh, and that we and God can work through us, right? Now, I want to give a setting of the story, all right? The setting is very important because it also highlights, again, the, the fact that God is at work here, that there is a lot of divine uh, inter- intervention. First off, we, we have different characters, uh, which we'll just mention, you know, Deborah, we saw Barak, we saw uh, Sisera, who is the commander of Jabin, the king of Canaan. And then uh, we have Jael, who ends up, at the end, the one who uh, kills Sisera, right? And these are our, our four characters throughout. But we also have the enemy. And the enemy is, uh, again, Jabin, king of Canaan, and specifically Sisera. And it's interesting that this enemy was far superior than Israel, and we see that. Even if you compare Jabin, the king of Canaan, with the, with the previous two judges and the enemies there, the enemies you had, the, the Lord uh, uh, strengthened him, it says, uh, referring to the, the enemy in Judges uh, 3.12. And then the, the other enemy we have uh, for Othniel, uh, we see that it says the Lord sold them into the hand of the enemy, right? 
But now we come to this enemy uh, that's coming against Israel. And what does it say? It says that they have 900 chariots of iron. Right? Where do we read in the book of Judges about 900 chariots of iron? Well, we read it in uh, Judges 119, right? It says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain. Why? Because they had chariots of iron. And so we, we see this reference to, to chariots of iron, and we see a situation where the Lord gives the land to the people of Judah, but he could not drive out the inhabitants. Why? Because these nine, because these chariots of iron, right? And now, again, I don't need to get into the explanation of that, that verse, but uh, it could just be the lack of faith on the people and then being disobedient. You see a whole list of things that the people of Israel did wrong in Judges chapter 1. But anyway, the point is that this is a strong enemy, right? This enemy, it, something needs to be happening. And now if I'm reading this story, and I see that there's these 900 chariots of iron, and I'm a, I'm a man in the ancient Near East, and I get to verse 4. Now, there wasn't verses back then, but I see now Deborah. Now, I'm saying, okay, hmm, do I, do I know any men named Deborah? Because we, we need a man to intervene here. But it says, no, it says, now Deborah, a prophetess, right? A prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. Now, I'm, I'm kind of... Man, like, what is going to happen in this story? Because I'm a little concerned. And it's, it's just interesting. Now, we have that word prophetess. Uh, there's only, it's only mentioned seven times in scripture, right? We have, um, Miriam in, in Exodus, uh, the sister of Moses, uh, Huldah in 2 Kings 22:14, where, uh, the Josiah finds, uh, the book of the law and, uh, people, you know, are coming and they come to her, uh, Nohidia, in Nehemiah, and then we have Isaiah's wife, and then we have uh, Anna, and uh, Jezebel, it says that she calls herself a prophetess. But she, she was a prophetess. And the way it's read in just the original language there, it's like, now Deborah, a woman, a, a woman prophet. It's like it says woman twice. So it wants you to know that Deborah is a prophetess. This is uh, a woman. And she was judging Israel at the time. And that, it's just important to talk about that. What does that mean? That word judging is really hard to translate and interpret because it basically, its meaning can change based on the context of the passage, right? So how the context works is how we translate it. Now, based on the context here, I'm going to consider that it wasn't that she was governing the people, but that she was counseling the people Right in spiritual matters. Why? Because she's a prophetess, and that's what it's mentioning. She's not. She's not taking over. She's not trying to be on the front line. She's not trying to be the judge, as we saw with the previous two. And so here she is. She's a prophetess, and she's counseling, or she's judging the people, as as I'm seeing it as counseling them. And it's one of the first characteristic traits that I see. Right? She was a mouthpiece for God as she counseled the people of Israel. So here are her children. She's being a mouthpiece for God as she's counseling. Now, she proclaims the word to Barak. We get a lot we get caught up in that word prophecy, right? We get caught up in the word prophet. What what does it mean? Now you have your foretelling and your forthtelling, but but we often neglect the idea that 
you know, prophecy in a sense is really more foretelling than it is foretelling. So we even see more instances of, of foretelling than, than foretelling. But the, the point is that here she was proclaiming the word. And she tells Barak, right, in, in Judges 4, 6, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Obinuam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men? And he will draw out Sisera in verse 7. And what's it say? I will give him into your hand. Where did she get this from? Did she just get this out of, out of nowhere, like the Lord, a, a voice? Well, I would challenge that she got it from previous revelation, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 30 to 31, The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man, carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place, right? We see the Lord, he's saying, I'm going to give the enemy into your hand. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 22. You shall not fear them, the enemy, right? For it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, 21 through 24. The same thought. She's bringing back the reminder of the word of God. What did God promise us? He will deliver us from the enemy. What are you waiting for? Go against Sisera. God promised us this, right? She was a mouthpiece for God. And it's interesting for us, right? And I can focus on the moms, but it, for me, like when, whenever I'm preparing messages, and th- like the, the first person I try to think of is myself. And so, so I have to, I'm also preaching to myself and I'm not a mom. But the, the idea here is that if I'm a mom and I have children, I have to recognize that the best thing I can be is a mouthpiece for God. I can speak the word of God to my children as I counsel them, right? As they're coming to me and they're asking me all these types of questions and where do I turn to? Where do I go? Sometimes, you know, we could give that blank look like I don't, I don't even know how to respond to that question. But what does the word of God say? You know, and it's funny how different stages are just just work out in, in parenting and, and through children. I mean, you know, I, I used to answer questions and my wife used to answer questions of, you know, dad, like how, how was God born if he if, if he if he always existed? You know, those types of theological questions that I love and I have no problem. You know, we go to the word of God and we're able to 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 counsel them and to be a mouthpiece for God. And what does the word of God say? But now as it gets older, you, there's not those those types of questions, but it's more these ethical questions and these difficulties of uh, you know, why can't I do what I want? Why can't I uh, eat whatever I want? And, you, and how do we point them to the word of God as we're counseling them? Are we a mouthpiece for God? Are we a mouthpiece as we're counseling our children? You know, is the word of God your first resource in counseling and uh, telling your children, instructing your children? Uh, so to speak. So that, that's one of the first characteristics we see, right? She was a mouthpiece for God. She was a prophetess and she was a counselor. She was judging. People were coming to her seeking wisdom in how to move forward, right? It, from a spiritual sense, because that's what she was as a prophetess. And so when they would come to her, she would go back to the word of God. And now Barak is that example uh, for us. The second thing that we see in the life uh, of Deborah is that uh, she was present. 
right? Barak comes and he says, okay, great. The, the Lord told me all these things, right? The, the Lord told me all these things that I'm going to, he's going to draw out Sisera. I'm going to, I'm going to deliver uh, the people of Israel. You're going to defeat him. And Barak says, uh, again, a weakness we see in leadership here, but he says, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And what does she say to him? I will surely go with you. Right. And then we even see further on down the road that Deborah went with Barak. And then it says that she went up with him. And, and we see that Deborah was was present uh, in, in the life of Barak. Like she she had a presence. She wasn't absent. She didn't just speak the word of God uh, to Barak. She wasn't just a mouthpiece to Barak for God and abandoning him, but she was present in his life. She uh, would go with him even when uh, you could imagine the frustration there. I I mean, right. She just said what the Lord would do for him. And like his first reaction is like, but but I want mom, I want you to come with me. You know, I need you to do this. And uh, sometimes for me, I mean, again, I'm a father. It's like, no, you can do it on your own. You don't need me. And and I can remove myself. And uh, but uh, we, we need to remind ourselves that we need to be present in the lives of our children, right? We need to go with them, and, and that's okay. We don't need to control them, right, and, and force them into a lot of things, but we need to be present in their lives. When they want us to come, uh, you, you know, watch them, when they, when they want to recite their memory verse that they get excited about, we need to get excited. We need to be present. We need to be right there with them when they're, when they're doing those things. And now, we have a lot of distractions in our world nowadays, right? I, I mean, that is a temptation, and it's something that I had to learn. I, I can only speak of my situation, but I found oftentimes that I have something else in front of me as my children are talking to me, All right? So my, my daughter, my son, one of my sons will run up to me, and they'll be so excited about something. And there I am on my phone. I'm trying to read a news article. Uh, I'm trying to read an email. I'm on social media. I'm trying to, to, to get a post up for, for Mother's Day because I have to tell my wife how much I love her it, to the whole entire world. And I get that opportunity and how, how thankful I am for her, right? But, but I'm always distracted in a sense, right? And so, yeah, I'm, yes, I'm responding to them and I'm talking to them. But at, at, at the end of the day, sometimes that they're not getting that attention. They see the cell phone. They see the, the computer. They see these electronics. How often I have to remind myself to put down my electronics, stop what I'm, I'm doing, get down on the floor, look them in the eye, and say, go ahead, tell me I'm listening, right? We need to be present in the lives of our children. Being on our phone, multitasking, you know, people, people almost elevate that in a sense, right? They say, boy, look, she's a mom, she works, and uh, she's, she, she's, she's fit, you know, she stays in shape, she eats healthy, she does all these things, and it's like, how, do, how does she do it all? But the reality is, is she really present in the lives of her children? Does she put down the phone? Does she get down to their level? And does she meet them where they're at? And is she present? Is she, is she going with them? Is she going up with them when they're going into these battles and when they're fighting, you, you know, these wars, so to speak? We need to be present in the lives of our children. It's a challenge for us, right? Deborah was there, right? And uh, again, we, we kind of see that correlation where she is a representation of, of the Lord. Like he, he is the one who tells us what to do and he, he guides us and he leads us, right, through his word. 
And, and he counsels us through the work of the Holy Spirit, as we saw first. And the Lord is present. I mean, Jesus himself, lo, I am always with you until the end. Like, Jesus is with us, and we have God as, as he's present in our lives. We have the, the Holy Spirit, right? And so this, Deborah's being a beautiful picture of what it looks like for, for the Lord to be involved in the lives of these judges. And so as you see with Barak, that she was a mouthpiece for God, and now she was present in his life. She was going, she was going with him, right? And she was going up with him. And so she was present, and now it's a great reminder for, for moms and for all of us, right, that we need to be present, not even just when it comes to children, right, but it also when it comes to, to what? When, when we're going to get coffee with someone, you know, we have our, our phone next to us, or uh, when uh, we're, we're with other individuals and the, the, Something has to be on. We need an electronic or, you know, all these things. We need to remind ourselves that we need to be present. We need to be involved. We need to be listening. And I realize that oftentimes, you know, and somebody has reminded me, when you're thinking about what you want to say, you're not listening, right? And that just reminds me that sometimes, uh, you know, I'm not present in the lives of uh, the people that the Lord, uh, you know, brings before me and that I can minister to. So we, we see that she was a mouthpiece. We see that she was present. And we, we see that she was honest, right? She was, she was honest. She wouldn't, she wouldn't lie to Barak either. Uh, she tells him flat out, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And I mentioned this before, but it's just, I just love, I, I love the narratives, uh, in the Old Testament. They're, they're just beautiful because again, you're reading this and you're like, Barak's probably like, yeah, no kidding. I, all right, I'm not going to get the glory. You'll get the glory. You're you're the prophetess anyway. You're the one who's who's judging the people. I'm I'm okay with that. You know whatever his response might have been, but it's not Deborah, right? It's Jael at the end uh, as we get closer to the end of the story. But she's honest with Barak, right? She she's not getting down uh, on his level and she's not going with him and, and and being there and she's not a president just to to tell him, uh, hey, everything's gonna be great. Don't worry about it and. Uh, you, you know, like you, you got this and just the encouraging, which we'll talk about in a second. But she's also very honest. Like, listen, you're going to go into this battle. You're going to win. You're going to be victorious. But what? But at the end of the day, you're not going to uh, to get the glory. And it's it's just interesting to me that, well, does Brock get any type of glory? We see him mentioned in Samuel's farewell address. We see him, um, you know, in the Hall of Faith. But I think the reality is he doesn't get the glory because we see Barak as the individual, as an individual who only was able to do what he did solely based on the work of God, right? Apart from God, uh, Barak, he basically did, uh, he did nothing. So, um, you know, we see him in, in that light. And she was honest with him. And I think sometimes we have to be honest with our children. I, I think we're not, we're not honest with them in the sense of like their sinfulness, you know, I mean, one of the worst things uh, that, that it just kind of irritates me is that we, we blame our children for being too as to why they're doing something wrong. Right. And, and now, again, some people might say, but but it is because they're too. Well, yes, but the reality is it's more because they're sinful. And now, yes, my two year old can't understand when I get down and I look at them and we might be surprised because they probably could and say you're sinful. You need Christ, right? You need the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
No, but as they progress and as they're three, four, five, we need to be reminding them, like, listen, you have a sinful heart. We need to be honest with them. We need to, to point them to Christ. You're, you're, you think you can fix these things? Let me tell you something. You're not going to be able to fix these things. You need Jesus Christ. Are we honest with them enough, right? And, and so we just have to be conscious of that. It's not that we have to be these discouragers, as I'm going to talk about in a second, but, but the reality is we put the truth before them. And Paul says, speak the truth in love. So please, if you're going to speak the truth, do it in love. And I think Deborah was being a very loving person. She's like, listen, yeah, sweet, I'm going to go with you, but you're, you're not going to get the glory. I don't know what the tone was, but, and, and Barack seemed okay. You know what I mean? Like he, he went with it. So we need to be, right, as we're reminded for our mothers, we need uh, to be a mouthpiece as we counsel our children, as we judge our children, so to speak. We need to be a mouthpiece for God. We need to refer to God's word. And then as we go to um, the next step, it's, it's what? That we need to be present in their lives, right? We need to be there. We need to put away our distractions when we're interacting with our children, uh, just as Deborah went with uh, Barak. And then we need to be honest with them, right? And now my last point is that we need to be encouraging. We need to be an encourager. Our moms need to encourage the children, and, and Deborah does this. She says, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? She encouraged um, Barak, go do what the Lord has called you to do now. Be that encourager. Encourage our children. And now, um, you know, we're, we're faced here because I, I've learned something, right? As I interact with different parents and I have, uh, I have friends who have children who are very similar in age, and, I, and I've realized something. I've realized that oftentimes your own children bother you more than other children, right? If you have two children doing the same exact thing, you're going to be more bothered by your own child, right? And, and, and so that can be dangerous, right? Because, because what happens is we can become a great discourager. And I know that, that I've had to do self-reflection on that. How often do I encourage my children uh, in honesty, even as Deborah was honest before that, but in, encourage them as they embrace things. Sometimes my daughter will show me a beautiful picture and it's, it's beautiful and I don't realize it right away because I'm not present, but do I stop and say, wow, that is a beautiful picture. You did an excellent job. Or do I just say, okay, hey, good job. Let me get back to my work. Let me get to, to what I need to be doing. And so we need to focus ourselves and remind ourselves that we need to be an encourager. And, and th this is important because sometimes we need to be careful uh, uh, through all these things. But I think for me, like, again, th this is a, a personal reflection, but when I ask myself how I encourage my children, I also have to ask myself, why am I not encouraging them? And sometimes I've realized that uh, I, I get so consumed in the negatives of my children that I neglect the positives, right? That I neglect to look at the, the positives that the Lord has gifted them and given them these, these great personalities that he can use for his glory, right? And so I, I, I ignore that. Why do I ignore it? And you know why? Because sometimes I get so consumed in what other people think of my children. Why? Because it reflects me, right? I'm saying, okay, if my children reflect me, then... Hey, I, I care about what other people think. So if they misbehave or they do something wrong, it's like I, I just get frustrated and I get angry and I get filled with anger because I feel like, hey, 
you know, that's a reflection of me. And so the Lord has really convicted me and said, yeah, they are a reflection of you to a certain degree, which is which is which is true. You know, if 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 I yell, I have to expect that my children are going to yell. I mean, it, it just goes hand in hand. But the, the reality is that if I'm going to encourage them in what they're doing, they're going to become encouragers. Right. And so I, I don't need to get consumed in so much about what other people are thinking. Right. Of of Mike and how he parents and what he does. But I need to get consumed in with what the Lord has called me to do. Right. And it's the same for our moms out there. What has the Lord uh, called you to do? And I think Deborah is a, a great example, this mother in Israel. Right. And how she functioned as as a mouthpiece, as she counseled uh, the, her children in Israel there. I, 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 I focus on how she was present in the life, in the lives of of the people, but even specifically Barak, how when he went into war, she was with him. She went up with him and she was there. She was involved. And then I think that she was honest with him. She didn't hide from his negatives. She didn't she didn't hide from the fact that he's not going to get something right. No, she was honest with him. And finally, she encouraged him up. This is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. How does this look uh, for us? So if we if we go back to our beginning, right, and we see that Deborah was used by God. She she was someone who was uh, just there to be used for the glory of God. Right. And there was divine intervention. So when we read this story, Deborah is not the focus. She's not the focus of the story. There's too many other characters. She has great character traits. She, she, we can talk about her just as we did. But who's the main character? And it seems as though in this specific narrative, the main character that the, the author is trying to highlight is the Lord, that the Lord is at work. He's, there, there's this divine intervention that's happening behind the scenes. But what do you see? You see Barak, right, who wasn't allowing the Lord to use him. He was, he was pulling himself back. And then you see Deborah, right? And you see Deborah who is saying, Lord, I'm here. What it is that you want me to do? And so we can look at that and say, you know, God has given you a fantastic ministry as a mother, whether it's physically, biological, spiritual, whatever it is. And then he, he's given us all fantastic ministries. But I think of this ministry of motherhood, right? That, that, that sometimes we can be distracted because people are always asking us, you know, what does the mom do? You know, and, and it can be often ignored at times. But the Lord has given you this fantastic ministry and you can be a representation of Yahweh, of the Lord in the lives of your children. And again, we can pour that over into the dads. We can pour that in over into the, the places we work. But specifically this morning, as we think about moms being that representation of the Lord and how, what does that look like? Be a mouthpiece. Be present in their lives. Just as the Lord said to us, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So say that to your children. She was honest with them, just as the Lord is honest with us in our sinfulness. And she was an encourager, just as the Lord encourages us through his word and that we can have forgiveness of sins. So I encourage all of the mothers out there, I'm thankful for you. Thankful that the Lord has has chosen you to be a mom. And for those who who have a desire to be a mom, I'm, I'm praying for you as well as even this can be the most difficult day of the year as you're, as you're going through that, those struggles. And I'm, I'm thankful for all the spiritual moms. I just listened to a message before where it was, the focus was on Paul's other mother. 
um, and how that woman influenced uh, Paul and just encouraged by all the women, the women in my life that have, um, you know, encouraged me and are considered to me to be spiritual mothers, thankful for my biological mother. And so this is a great reason to celebrate. But let us be reminded of Deborah, the mother in Israel and the characteristic traits that she had that we can look at and say, let us be like Deborah, as she was that representation of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living, that it's active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that it, it, it pierces our souls, it convicts us, it challenges us. And Father, we pray that we would not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. We thank you for Deborah. We thank you for her example. We thank you that, that you used her uh, in, in this story and that you used her in, in a great way, Father, and we just pray that that as we looked at uh, her different traits and what she did throughout this narrative, uh, throughout this story, and how she was um, j- just a mouthpiece for you, Father, how she was uh, present in the lives of the people she was uh, counseling, and how she was uh, honest with them, and how she was an encourager. And Father, we pray that that would be, be true for us and in, in the relationships that we have that we would be a mouthpiece for you, that, that we would be present in the lives of those you have called us to, uh, to minister to. We pray that you would help us to be present, that, that social media and all these different distractions would uh, not hinder us in, in any way, Father, and that uh, we would be, be honest with those in a loving way, that we would speak the truth in love. And finally, that we would encourage people, Father, and we, we thank you for the fact that we are able to do this and that we have the spirit living inside of us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us and that we can be uh, uh, tools uh, for you, Father, that you can use us for your honor and your glory. So we just pray for this week that's before us. We pray that you would create more opportunities, even in our uh, quarantining, that that we could minister to others for you, Father. So we just pray that uh, we would seek to bring more honor and glory to you this week than even we did last week, Father. We ask this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.